0: Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. I'm Gavin Costigan and all this month we're exploring international research collaboration post-Brexit, looking not only at how the UK collaborates with EU countries but also globally. With me to discuss that is uh, Joanna Burton, Policy Manager at the Russell Group. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank
1: you, pleasure to be here.
0: Before exploring details of future international research collaboration maybe you can help set it in context a bit. How does global research collaboration fit in within the broader research funding and systems we have within the UK?
1: I mean, it's really great that we have a new government which recognises the importance of the research agenda uh, for many things. So that's um, increasing productivity, creating jobs and levelling up uh, towns and cities across the UK. And it's really important that international and global research collaboration um, forms a key part of our uh, of the UK's research strategy. If we're going to get to our, um, the government's target of 2.4% investment, then um, global is going to be um, a key part of doing that. And by collaborating with universities and businesses, countries all over the world, uh, that helps to stimulate the UK's research base and create that ecosystem of people and ideas to sort of strengthen the UK.
0: Focusing in a little bit then on the EU, and obviously in the past the UK has been a member of the EU and therefore been eligible for EU research funding. What's been the importance of that EU research funding to Russell Group universities in the past? And how does it vary uh, you know, across different institutions or across different subjects?
1: So our participation in the EU programmes and that EU funding that we get has been absolutely transformative uh, for Russell Group universities and all universities in the UK but Ross Group in particular. This funding supports collaboration with um, not only researchers and organisations in Europe but across the world. Um, It also delivers probably the world's only um, truly multilateral um, research programme, sort of giving that a common framework which allows these uh, projects to take place with 10 or more participants. So, really, sort of making the most of the expertise uh, in different countries across the world. Um, being a, an excellence-based programme as well, that drives up the the quality of the research. So selecting from a much wider pool means that the research that's being funded is is truly truly the best there, and that um, gives the UK an opportunity uh, to to bid for that excellence-based funding. Another thing that um, European funding has enabled is funding things at scale um, on of a scale that might, would probably not be possible. Um, at a national level and that includes the multilateral projects but also um, the individual grants uh, through the ERC and the Marie Curie and also through infrastructure so um, that scale really sort of driving forward some some really cutting edge research.
0: And are there some examples of uh, how that scale in particular has helped UK researchers?
1: Yeah, so one example um, at Sheffield University is the Clean Sky Initiative, mm-hmm. um, and that sort of brings together people uh, you know, from across the world, but with that long-term investment from the EU that really um, makes that project be a success. Um, you also asked about disciplines as well, sure. and it's true that when you, when you look at the breakdown of the funding that comes from, from Horizon 2020, for example, whilst the absolute values might be smaller for um, the arts, humanities... And sh- social sciences, but their relative importance uh, is much greater. So, um, those uh, certain disciplines more highly dependent on EU funding. And I think by, by diversifying the um, income that, co- that comes from research and including EU in that, um, it means that disciplines which are perhaps not at the moment UK priorities can be funded mm. um, uh, f- externally from the EU.
0: So we're now at this very interesting moment, we've left the EU, we're in the transition period until the end of the year, and the UK is going to need to make decisions on research funding post Brexit. Many people are arguing for the UK to become a full associate member of the next EU framework programme, Horizon Europe. How important is this? And what differences might there be uh, between being an associate member compared with being a full member because we were part of the EU?
1: Yeah, so you're right that this is a, a unique moment. We've never had to consider association in this way before. It's always been automatic by virtue of, uh, of being a member state, which we no longer are. Um, but we think at the Russell Group, um, it's the view of our members, that full association to the next programme uh, should be the government's priority. Um, we think this will offer the, the best um, opportunities for the UK and also that decision, whilst will incur a cost for participation, must consider um, the, all of the uh, non-monetary benefits so viewed in its entirety rather than just the, um, the funding that, that comes back. In terms of what will be different from being an associate member compared with being a member state, um, in terms of participation, well, that depends on the terms of access that mm. the UK is able to negotiate. Currently, as associated countries enjoy the same access, the full access to the programme as a member state but there's always potential for that to be different in the future. What we would want to, or what we would hope that the UK would be able to secure would be um, access to the, the, full, uh, so the full range of pillars of the programme and um, importantly, particularly for our universities, that's pillar one including the European Research Council and the Marie Curie grants.
0: So a recent report by Adrian Smith and Graham Reid Set out advice and possible options for international research funding post Brexit, and included the need for a new vision for the UK, which makes sense because, as you say, we're in this unique moment. What are the key elements of that vision of an international research collaboration for the UK?
1: So yeah, we're, we've you know it was a very interesting um, report that Adrian Smith and Graham Reed produced, and we would absolutely agree with them when they say in the report that Brexit has provided. A stimulus for the UK to think differently about yeah. its international collaboration. We can no longer take for granted uh, the position that we had before um, and it really provides opportunities to do things perhaps a bit differently. There were some important suggestions in that report, um, one about uh, protect and stabilise measures um, for the UK research landscape. So whether the UK does or doesn't associate to Horizon Europe that's a decision that's yet to be taken. It's almost inevitable that uh, there's going to be some disruption uh, to the landscape. Even if we do associate, there could well be a gap bet- before, between the end of this year and before that happens. And so that perhaps provides an opportunity to th- think about what measures could be put in place to support global collaboration um, in the short term, until we do get association, and perhaps in the long term, if we don't associate, um, sort of looking to the future. Also, there's there's interesting ideas about uh, creating. Agile funding, so putting in more funding for universities to collaborate globally. We already have some excellent schemes like the Newton Fund and the Global um, Challenges Research Fund, but these could be potentially expanded, giving flexibility to work with um, the best partners from around the world and different countries and responding to emerging priorities. That's really something we um, are very keen to explore more and working with the government to help, uh, to help develop those. There's also uh, talking in the report about um, research fellowships to so individual grants for um, the best researchers from around the world um, doing cutting edge research. So there's plenty of um, really exciting ideas in there. I think what we would say is that for a vision of truly global research, it doesn't have to be an either or between Europe and the rest of the world. When it comes to, when you think of the um, what are the sort of the, you know the research superpowers in the world it's really um, Europe USA and China mm. and so a smart global strategy for research should really include um, all, all of those so for us we really see um, collaboration with Europe as one piece of the puzzle if mm. you like in a mm. truly
0: global strategy and that's really interesting obviously one of the things that uh, either membership of or uh, association with the framework program and its, its successors is the common framework you mentioned earlier, which avoids the problem of double jeopardy, allows actually international projects to get funded. That's harder at the moment with different countries, particularly a country like China, for example, which centralises its funding more than we decentralise our funding. How are those priorities going to work out? Do we need to hold more money back in the centre to allow some of these different uh, funding streams to work? It's true
1: that there are there have been challenges in working uh, working globally that that don't exist when you when you're in the common framework of the EU. Um, you know our members have told us that you know researchers have have sometimes really struggled to make these um, research partnerships work for the mm. um, some of the the issues that you you've just mentioned. I think it's going to have to involve a sort of a very careful process of building up the trust between uh, both the funders and coming to new arrangements which try and break down those barriers. But to avoid that issue of double jeopardy, um, there needs to be um, new systems in place which will uh, allow for one central uh, um, assessment of the the proposals Mm -hmm. that come in. So again, it's all about working differently and thinking about new ways of working. And I think that's something that perhaps um, universities and through the Russell Group can support the government to try and uh, Mm. overcome these barriers and make um, research collaboration as frictionless as it can be, Mm. perhaps drawing on some of the lessons that we've learned from working in the
0: EU. Okay, so one of the other elements of this isn't just the research it's the people Mm -hmm. of course and one issue that the UK research community have is attracting and retaining the best talent and we've heard just today that the government has a, uh, a new points-based immigration system that it's proposing and that presumably will need to be uh, legislated for. What does that kind of system mean for UK universities?
1: So you're absolutely right that the immigration system is so important that um, the immigration system and the ability to collaborate globally uh, do go hand in hand. And we need to make sure that in the government's vision that those two things are joined up. Really, uh, what we want to see from the new system coming into place from the start of next year is an immigration system that's globally competitive so if you think about eu researchers who have previously been able to come to the uk under free movement very easily and to stay for a long time they'll be um, now subject to uh, a visa process for the Mm. first time and it's so it's important that firstly the bureaucracy uh, is, is minimized as much as possible both for the, the applicant but, and for the university as the employer um, and also in terms of um, the fees that apply, the fees for the visa itself, the immigration health surcharge, uh, we want to see those set at levels which are competitive um, around the world to help UK universities continue to um, attract those people. Thinking about students as well that might uh, come to UK and do their PhD and perhaps stay on uh, later and sort of feeding that talent pipeline, which is so important. One of the things the government had announced and was in the Conservatives' manifesto was the um, the graduate visa um, for post-study work. Um, that's been um, you know that's been really really welcomed uh, from us and from our members, and we just hope want to see that um,
0: be confirmed in legislation as soon as possible. And it's interesting because perhaps the UK needs to do. A little bit of a, a selling job on some of these new proposals because you want an immigration system that's not just clear and straightforward mm-hmm. but also is welcoming and feels welcoming to people and perhaps over the, the period where there's been the uncertainty over Brexit people haven't felt that sense of welcome so are there things that need to be done to change change the message but also change the, 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 the tone of the message?
1: It's true that um, Brexit uncertainty has um, been very keenly felt in the universities and universities have been working very hard to do everything they can to deliver that message uh, of being welcome, being open, continuing to support um, international staff that they have and, um, as you say, sell themselves as being uh, an excellent place to come and do their research. It's true that you know, we work, we're operating in a highly competitive market um, you know, our competitors in Europe would be uh, you know, more than happy to, to snap up some of those excellent researchers, yeah. Uh, yeah. either considering or currently at uh, UK universities. So yes, it is a, it's, it's so important to have that welcoming message. I think it's uh, perhaps a job for the government and the sector to be working together to see how um, we can get that message across for researchers, but um, really the, the truth will be in, um, in the immigration system itself and how um, easy that will be to navigate and that's under development at the moment and something that we're working very closely with the Home Office and others on to to make sure that we get that right.
0: So let's explore that and some of the other issues in terms of the politics of all of this. We've obviously heard positive things about research from the new government which was only elected itself a couple of months ago Uh, and in the last week we've had a new uh, minister for universities and another, another new minister for science and research appointed how can the Russell Group and, and other partners that you work with capitalise on some of those positive words and actually help to advance the research agenda, particularly in this area of international research collaboration?
1: Yeah, so it's been incredibly welcome to hear these um, positive messages coming from the government, that they really do understand that you know research, innovation and development um, is going to be key to um, achieving some of the government's own priorities. So where we can capitalise, I think, is for us to, to fully understand what the government's agenda is, what they want to achieve, and then it's positioning UK universities as how they're going to help the government achieve those priorities. So that's whether that's um, in terms of producing skilled graduates or um, undertaking the research which will approach the, the global challenges of our time, also as sort of centers for innovation and creating startups and businesses, mm. um, and really marrying up the two in terms of what the universities can offer to help a government achieve its own objectives. I think we, we can say that we're quite fortunate to, to be operating in a political context where that is uh, you know, seen to be so important. but at the same time, we mustn't be complacent about that. And uh, really the, the time to act and sort of shape, help to shape that new strategy is now. So we'll be, we'll be working with uh, the new universities minister um, and others uh, in the government to, to try and achieve that.
0: And to what extent is the 2.4%, which is the, uh, the level of which the government wants to get to for R&D investment, a helpful driver in this? Because that's clearly a potential increase in funding. It is a helpful
1: driver. I think it's um, something that's been discussed uh, not just just under this government but under the previous as well. Um, Where we can support the government to do that is uh, by demonstrating how they could set out that roadmap to 2.4. So it's not just a case of more government funding but how they can position that to attract funding externally as well um, from from business uh, and elsewhere.
0: So we have two new ministers: one for uh, research, one for universities. That's an interesting separation that were previously together. If uh, one or both of those ministers were sat here in this beautiful room in the Russell Group, what would you say the top priorities were at the moment?
1: So I think now that we you know with post-Brexit, I think it's time to um, seize opportunities to have a really exciting new vision for, for global research collaboration and as I said before for us it would be really important that collaboration with the EU is part of that global vision um, for global research. Over many many years we've built up uh, those, those links and those collaborations in Europe um, which have which have been hard won and it would be you know, it's really important that those are, those are maintained to be a foundation upon which we can build uh, for a global strategy. Um, secondly, uh, uh, as we, we talked about immigration before, it's so important that we get that right. Um, in the short term, that means flexibility and uh, short-term mobility for researchers in both directions to, to make those collaborations happen as frictionly as possible and not put up a barrier to those mm. collaborations. And thirdly, I think when it comes to decisions around what uh, the UK's position for Horizon Europe will be, really time is of the essence this program horizon 2020 will finish at the end of this year and association talks will be able to begin as soon as the legislation for horizon europe is finalized we really need to make sure we keep up the momentum on that Mm. and um, decisions to be taken quickly and because we do anticipate a period of disruption but if those if those agreements can be made uh, fairly quickly and some contingency plans put in place for the gap and I think it could be a really you know, positive direction for, for the UK.
0: So finally, on a positive note, because I always like to uh, try and, uh, and think positively, looking into the future, how might UK's international research collaboration develop over the next five years, if some of the things we've talked about actually start to work and come into play?
1: So. We are at a time of potentially, you know, great change, but I think um, there could be, you know, if we, if we keep up the momentum and, you know, the government, you know, really follows through on its positive words around uh, global research collaboration, then I think, you know, the UK potentially could go from strength to strength. Um, if that involves exploring new um, streams for global research collaboration, such as those um, uh, suggested in the Smith review, I think there would be an enormous amount of support for those, and could potentially lead to some really exciting new and fruitful collaborations. Um, like I said previously, EU collaboration really should be at at the heart of that, as as a foundation for building on. There's certainly willingness from the EU side as well um, to come to a negotiation on Horizon Europe. Um, so we, I mean, we think it's possible, and we think it will be good for the UK going forward. But where we could be in five years, I mean, hopefully it will be um, be a good place for research.
0: Joanna Burton, thank you very much.
1: Thanks,
0: Gavin. You're listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. You can find us on soundcloud.com, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you found this podcast. Or you can check out further details about the foundation at www.foundation.org.uk.